Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Google. Today's Monday, December 7th. COVID hospitalizations are up, the odds of TikTok getting banned are down, and we're focused on the stalled economic stimulus. We're now nine months since the CARES Act became law, that big bipartisan moment when Congress and the White House worked together to make sure that an economic recession didn't become an economic depression. Since then, though, crickets. Yeah, House Democrats passed the HEROES Act in May, but they did so knowing it was dead on arrival in the Mitch McConnell-controlled Senate. And yes, Senate Republicans later introduced some piecemeal bills, but they knew those would be rejected by Nancy Pelosi. And Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin spent lots of time negotiating in the summer and in the fall, but accomplishing nothing tangible. All the while, it was obvious to almost everyone outside the White House and halls of Congress that economic and job growth were slowing down at the very time that lots of CARES Act provisions, like expanded unemployment insurance, were set to expire. So here we are, near the end of our bridge to nowhere. Leaders of both political parties acknowledge something must get done. Maybe a $900 billion compromise plan put forth last week by the so-called Problem Solvers Caucus in the House and a bipartisan group of senators. But it still remains unclear if all of those words will translate into action. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper into the stimulus state of play and how we got here with Representative Josh Gottheimer, a New Jersey Democrat and co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. But first, this. We're joined now by Congressman Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey. So Congressman, let's just start stimulus, big picture state of play. Do you believe we're going to get something, if not your exact plan, something passed before Christmas? Yes, I really do. I think momentum is building. And I think there is a very uh, stark reality that if we don't get something done before we go home, not only will the American people be furious as they should be, but you're going to leave a lot of people and a lot of families and a lot of small businesses in the lurch at a time where people need help and Americans really need help. So I think that is uh, a broadly understood and accepted reality. It's why we've been fighting so hard for it. And I think people on both sides of the aisle recognize that. So we've seen some of the headline numbers of this plan that you guys in a group of bipartisan senators put out last week, you know, $160 billion for state and local funding, kind of reauthorization of the Paycheck Protection Program, vaccine distribution money, et cetera. Can you take us behind the scenes a little? What are the big things that are still sticking points between Democrats and Republicans? And you're spot on, by the way. We, we came together, a uh, bipartisan group of us and bicameral, 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans in the House as the Problem Solvers Caucus, which I co-chair uh, with Tom Reed from New York, and with a bipartisan group of senators. And we've been working for weeks on it. And the 908 billion, as you talked about, has many components uh, that I think are needed for right now. It's an emergency short-term package. And I think that's what really drove our decision-making, right? To make sure we got immediate help to get into the new administration, to get through the winter to help us as cases are spiking and small businesses are going out and families in need. You brought up several of the areas that we've been focused on. And I'll tell you the places like unemployment, $300 a week uh, extra for a short period of time to get us again into uh, the new administration. PPP, a second round of uh, small business loans to help our small businesses. In New Jersey, where I live, 35% of small businesses have already gone out of business, which is just awful. Uh, and 28% of restaurants. It's food assistance. Right now, you've got so many people on food lines in Hungary for the, you know, and, and really in tough shape. First time ever on a food line for so many Americans. 
rental support uh, and state and local assistance and other areas, which I can mention like childcare and, and K-12 education and broadband. The places where that have always been the toughest, and I've been working on negotiating this for months, the places that are toughest continue to be uh, liability and worker protection and how they work together. And, you know, just getting over the hump on state and local is, you know, there's, there's uh, many of my colleagues on the other side uh, aren't interested in that piece of it. And it's, as you know, many states like mine need urgent help to pay our cops and firefighters and teachers. So those remain the toughest areas, although we're within inches of uh, getting this done. You're within inches. So talk to me, what's on either side, for example, on the liability protection, which is this question of giving businesses, making so they can't be sued, for example, if workers or customers, I guess, get COVID in their physical locations or something like that. What's still the sticking point on that between the two sides? Overall, that remains, it's difficult, right? I mean, that's, of all the pieces, um, I'd say that's the toughest. And, you know, this is an area where I, of course, passionately believe we got to make sure we protect our workers. You got to protect people who are in, and, you know, hospital workers and uh, uh, making sure our students in school and, and, and doctors and nurses and patients are all taken care of and customers and stores, but also understanding that if people took proper precautions and followed guidelines and uh, that make sure our small businesses also don't face, uh, you know, unnecessary um, suits if they um, took all precautions. And that's, that's kind of the balance that you might imagine we're working out. Um, and, and really, it's tough because there's a lot of parts here that are new. We haven't ever dealt with something like this, you know, before uh, in terms of a pandemic and dealing with it from a perspective of the legal system. So each side has their perspective on this. I'm really hopeful we, we made some good progress yesterday and we had a three-hour conversation with uh, the senators and with uh, members of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Still, you know, we're trying to work toward getting a bill out sometime midweek, but, you know, there's, it's tricky. When you say trying to get a bill out midweek, I assume you mean a bill from you guys. Who ultimately is doing the negotiation between the House and the Senate in terms of actual bills that are going to get on the floor? Is it still Pelosi and McConnell who are ultimately in charge of this? This group is really is crafting it, you know, so working, of course, keeping uh, leadership informed on both sides, um, working with the administration. But the bottom line is this bipartisan, bicameral group were the ones who are crafting the bill with lots of input. And of course, it's a lot to negotiate. And there's a lot of pieces here, which is why it takes time and you want to do it right. But we also recognize that uh, we've got to get this done. You talked about how this is kind of a short term thing to get us through Inauguration Day, essentially, and until the new administration gets up and running. One of the problems in retrospect with the CARES Act wasn't a problem with the bill itself so much as it was a question of when the bill stopped or when it was supposed to stop, right? A lot of the benefits ended over the summer, summer ending in the next couple of weeks. It was a bridge to the belief that the pandemic was going to end earlier than it was going to end. Should Americans be concerned that if you guys get this thing passed in the next week or two, what you're proposing, this might be it, and then we could be back here having this conversation at the end of January? Most of the provisions in, in what we're talking about here go through the first quarter. So uh, through March, recognizing, as you pointed out, we've got to get into the new administration, vaccine getting up and running, uh, which is why there's, there's resources in this package for deployment and con uh, vaccine deployment and, of course, testing. But the bottom line is we recognize that depending upon where, what we need and where the country is, because the next few months are going to be tough and we've got to get to Inauguration Day. And then, as you said, as the new administration gets up and running, we'll see where we are. And we're going to, I believe, we're going to have to come back for more. This is, I see this as just a down payment on what we're gonna ultimately need. You're gonna need more resources for state and local governments, especially for the small towns where there's revenue short, shortfalls and um, expenditures. 
you know, there'll be other areas where, you know, we're not going to be out of the woods. We'll see where the economy is. You know, we saw the jobs numbers were not good last week, you know, and unemployment up. We're still facing a lot of headwinds. But the key is for right now, this gets us at least through the next few months. Speaker Pelosi got asked uh, during a press conference, I think it was last Friday, and the question kind of uh, was prefaced by this idea of a mistake. And she kind of bristled at the idea that it was a mistake for Democrats to not pass some of the piecemeal things that Senate Republicans suggested about a month ago. For example, a standalone PPP reauthorization, the skinny bill, etc. Is she right? Was it not a mistake to pass some of that to help people out, even if it was not everything Democrats wanted? Well, the problem is you get into cherry picking. And in a lot of those skinny bills that were proposed, those smaller packages, there wasn't anything for food assistance and help families in several packages I saw. There's others that didn't do anything on rental support and uh, on the eviction moratorium, which obviously is ending the day after Christmas, right? Right. But there was, for example, you talked about the problems for small businesses. If the PPP reauthorization had been passed just as a standalone, cherry picked as it was, small businesses today would be in much better shape than they are, correct? Well, but you'd have nothing for unemployment for those who are out of work. Well, we currently have nothing for unemployment for those who are out of work. The problem is, is if you take out a piece of it, the feeling is that no one, to your question a second ago, there'd be no motivation to go back to the table to do the other pieces because you know, the other side would just walk and say, well, those priorities are not important to us or as important to us, so we're not getting anything done. I think the key now is to make sure we get this done, even though it doesn't have as much as we had right before the election, as you remember, the, the package, the Problem Solvers Caucus had been worked on and brought to the table and really urged leadership on both sides to get back to the table was between one and a half trillion and two trillion dollars. And negotiators were around one point eight trillion right before the election. I think we should have gotten that done. And I think both sides should have agreed and not played politics uh, with it. And there were, there were those who thought who were playing politics with the pandemic. And I thought that was unacceptable. But the bottom line is, I think now we're, we're facing a moment where either we're going to get something done or you're looking at months before people are able to get any help on any of these fronts. Obviously, as someone who cares a lot about my small businesses and the, job and the people they employ, I want to make sure they get a second round and get emergency help, just like I want to make sure that people who are unemployed get unemployment. And so there's a lot, there are a lot of priorities and a lot of people hurting. And right now, even from a month ago to where we are now, Look at the map of red around the country of, of how many cases there are. And it's exploding, obviously, all around the nation right now. It's not only a blue state issue. It's a blue and red state issue. And, uh, and I think that's a very important factor here. Two final quick questions for you. One, if the pandemic had been happening one year earlier, if we were in 2019, not 2020, and the presidential election was still a year off, do you believe we would have already gotten a second stimulus done? You talked about how kind of playing politics with the pandemic. Did we run into just god-awful timing that you guys were trying to negotiate this at the same time there was a presidential election? I think that certainly was a factor. I mean, the politics on both sides gets into things around a presidential election. I don't know. It's hard to answer these hypotheticals, but I'll tell you that I think it was unacceptable that we didn't do anything in the same way that I think we cannot leave town at all. We cannot get to the end of the year and not deliver help for people. And to me, and, there's not, and it's not just me and not just the problems I was saying that you have a lot of members of Congress who have come out pretty strongly and said, we absolutely may not leave Washington until we help people. And, um, and I, I think that has to be our mantra. And we've got to make that very clear to leadership that this has to get done. And, I, and so far, you know, our leadership has really, I think, made it clear that they understand the importance of this. And we've heard the speaker say that. And obviously, Senator Schumer and Republicans across the Hill have said that as well. Final question, speaking of leadership, if it doesn't get done, and I ask this because I remember having uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar on this show 
I think right before the August recess. And she said something very similar about how we can't go on vacation until this gets done. That's four months ago now. If it doesn't get done, and I'm, I'm hoping it does, but if it doesn't get done, should House leadership still be House leadership? Should Nancy Pelosi still be allowed to be speaker if you guys don't get this done? Well, you know, it takes two to tango here. So yeah, I know. But this is that's your vote. You don't get to vote on the Senate. So I'm curious. I, I think that I've made it. I'm really pleased. Let's put it this way. I'm very pleased that leadership has been so responsive and working so closely to get this done. And I think that's the right approach and fighting very hard. You know, I believe that the key judge that all of us are going to have to make, and I'd say this to my Republican colleagues too, at the end of the day, are, are folks going to leave town and pack up without getting something done? Or are we just going to stay here day in and day out? Because my opinion, what we should do is literally sit here and work 24-7, like we've been working, like a group of us have been now working for weeks, until it gets done. And if it does, as you just said, if after next week it still doesn't get done, we should be here the week after. We'll go home for Christmas, come right back the next day. And to me, that's what we should be doing because people are hurting. They need our help. There's absolutely no way they can make it through this if we don't, if we don't do for them what they deserve right now. Congressman Josh Gottheimer of the great state of New Jersey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, man. Great talking to you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is water. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange announced that investors can now trade futures tied to the average price of water. This is a first for the water industry and comes with some pros and cons. On the upside, this should increase price transparency and flexibility for water consumers. For example, a farmer could now buy water future contracts at a relatively low price to offset possible higher prices in a drought year. On the downside, this also could introduce all sorts of Wall Street speculation into a vital commodity that's becoming scarcer due to pollution and climate change. Today, we're also watching Bob Dylan, who agreed to sell his 600-plus song catalog to Universal Music Publishing Group for what the New York Times reports is more than $300 million. This comes just one week after Stevie Nicks signed a similar deal for around $80 million and reflects the booming market for song rights. We're also watching what's expected to be a very big week for IPOs. The latest is that DoorDash will price its offering tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and begin trading Wednesday morning, while Airbnb is about 24 hours behind. Both companies recently increased their IPO price ranges, suggesting very strong investor interest. Finally, this Sunday at noon, we'll be watching Lifetime Television, which we don't do most Sundays, uh, because Lifetime apparently partnered with fast food chain KFC for what it calls an original mini-movie, titled A Recipe for Seduction, starring Saved by the Bell's Mario Lopez as what I assume the casting call referred to as a sexy Colonel Sanders. Does his love interest learn all 11 herbs and spices? We find that out on Sunday at noon. Secrets out, chicken man. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great National Cotton Candy Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.